Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Welcome back to another episode of Intimate Animation. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Laura Beth Cowley. Hello, Laura. Hello. Uh, been a little while since the last episode. We've been kind of keeping busy with the Film Club podcast. Yeah, and adjusting to the new normal. Yeah. Well, that's been going well. I think it's sort of nice to space it out a little bit. You'd think that the time would have dragged more being housebound. But I'm starting to find, like, it's it's really starting to whiz by. But yeah, I think overall, we've kind of settled into something pretty workable. Like, you know, work's okay at the moment. It's it's You've got your PhD continuing, and you have your setup. My life has changed not at all. <laughs> Except for now I have a genuine excuse to not go to the lab. Right. Which is that we're not allowed it's to, not and met. it's closed. <laughs> So, so it's not procrastination anymore, it's social responsibility. Yes, yeah, yeah. Now Perfect. I'm doing good. I'm actually weirdly more productive in quarantine. Like, I've got so much more done for my PhD in the last three months than I have, I think, in the last year. Do you think that's because of the situation? Or? I think it's a mix of things. I think it's partly because, like, I mean, I think I took about a month to adjust to the new thing and just stop waking up every morning panicking about, like, who's gonna die but other than that i think it was a mix of resignment of like well i've got nowhere else to go i have nothing else to distract me i can't go and meet someone or go do something else the even the doors of this yeah well you because you work and you're working very like you have a very like regimented working pattern of like wake up at this time go to work see we'll see talk to each other at lunch and stuff and occasion i'll come and bother you with some weird youtube video i found but generally you you know we keep in our separate rooms in the flat and we're very fortunate that we're not one of those people that has like one room which is also their kitchen and their living room and then the bed and that's it i know some people who are doing that and you know their resolve is being tested a bit we did it initially we worked in the same room i think it was just it was was a matter of it was more hot than yeah. anything um well, you put us in the same room together it, no to be honest it was more to do with like i didn't like feeling like you were like doing all the work and i'm just there, like scroll <laughs> scroll stare at the ceiling it's nice to convene at the end of the day i mean i also did spend about three months between uh the start of COVID and now being like, I'm just going to research folk horror. I've got nothing to do with my PhD, but fuck it. Yeah. I'm going to just plough all of my time and effort into horror and animation and wish I'd done my PhD on that. Mm. Like, I uh, started being like, I wonder if I can do another PhD. And then a bigger part of my brain went, no, don't do it. <laughs> but that's probably what I'll do at the end of this as a... As a research project. That reminds me, actually, in the last episode we did of this, had we talked, uh, had your film been on the TV yet? I don't think it had. No, I think it was like a month later. Uh, if you didn't see it, you can see it on BBC iPlayer for a while. It's going to be on for like the rest of the year, I think. Yeah, there's is... no like 
talk about whenever it's coming down or anything. Well, it, last time I looked, which was about a month ago, it said 11 months left. So mm. it's going to be the better part of a year. And also a lot, of the, a lot of the Calling the Shot films just live on there forever because I can see ones from years ago. Right. So I'm not sure if maybe the film is available on its own. I was thinking of the show it was a part of, which is called Get Animated, and it was presented by that guy mm. who was like a film critic, I think. Yeah. Very enthusiastic fellow. It it felt a bit like he, he missed his calling in children's television presenting. In all fairness, I'm really keen on any film critic that even acknowledges animation as a film. Yeah. Technique. Not just... You know, and not a genre. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what his name was. Uh, Ali Plum. Yeah, he was very nice. And he was it was nice about my film. And that was the thing I was most worried. I was like, oh, he's going to misinterpret it. Like, I don't know how, but I feel like that's always my big fear about that film is that some... It was fine. Oh, no, but... he was great. Yeah. Uh, I think that I know what you mean in the sense that, you know, think the worst of people and don't be disappointed when it's a film about what it's about and the number of people well it hasn't been a huge number but it has been a hundred percent of the the guys i've mentioned it to when i tell them what it's about and they immediately go into the sort of ah, humana, humana, humana. yeah it's kind um, of pathetic <laughs> god for love them for one of a better word it's a bit like oh, come on i don't know what that shutdown is and guys, like I'm not saying i'm not saying that to be high and mighty because i've got plenty of like it- stupid shutdowns of my own but Basically, I mean, the thing is, it's a film about menstruation. So the, the male contingent of our podcast listenership have thrown their phone across the room. Or just vomited in their mouth a bit. But it's also about witches. It is. I've become very period militant. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, any excuse to say menstruation in a room, I will. Well, I don't know if you, you mil- like period militant suggests... I think you just have gotten really gung-ho about it. Yeah, I guess. Like, I think it's culturally a sort of fascinating topic because for, you know, generations, really since the beginning of time, it's just weirded dudes out and made them do all sorts of, like, it's, irresponsible it's nonsense things. amazing. Like, I could quite easily do an entire podcast, podcast episode about all the weird shit I've read about periods and from anthropology and science and how they both, like, argue with each other all the time. Like, I'm reading, like, that book I told you I was reading about um, called The Wise Wound, which is really good and really interesting, but it was written in the 70s, and it's got this, it's got a very clear agenda of what it's trying to get across. And sometimes it comes off as, like, I'm not sure if that's true or accurate, but you go for it, girl and ma'am, because it's written by a man and a woman. Uh-huh. But it's, it's a bit, yeah. And it, this it, this goes back to what I was saying about like ha- having like a hiatus for my uh, PhD to be like I'm just going to research everything about folk horror and menstruation and horror films and feminist horror theory and and thinking like there can't be that much. I was like this was stupid. <laughs> like if I had just covered horror and menstruation, that would be a PhD. Yeah. Like there's so much that you could read from but just the amount of studies and things that have actually gone into menstruation but have kind of missed the point and sort of argue amongst themselves and there's no real defined... yeah, i don't even know how that would work like what what are they misunderstanding about well, it, because i'm looking at it from like a cultural point of view because the film deals with like taboos and yeah. like um and and like international taboos it's it's ones from all over the place and because i didn't want 
to get I there's always like an in it a lot of research in all of my films if they're about a subject because I hate the idea of like being misinformed and then having committed it to film and then somebody like that's not true and I'm like oh no crap like now I have to live with this incorrect film um but I'm also always amazed by how many people don't research anything when they make a film and just make a film because like well I have a vagina so that's research enough yeah but I tried not to research too much because all it also had to make sense narratively because it was funded by the BBC and it had to fit certain parameters. Not many, but it had to be a film that was at least watchable and it couldn't just be like a list of taboos, which was basically kind of what I wanted to do, but with like a loosely draped narrative over the top. Mm. Um, In the end, I'm, I'm trying to remember, were there any things that they got cagey about? Um... Was there something there to do was, with the nudity? Yeah, or the- they were worried at one point. There's a scene where she's in the bathtub and she's naked. It's a full frontal naked scene. And she has pubic hair. And they're like, what the hell is that? Yeah, very manicured pubic hair, but quite a lot of pubic hair. But I think their issue was in the nipples, maybe. And I think it's because they weren't sure at what point of the di- what time of the day they were going to show this on the BBC. And I was like, well, she also sets fire to a bunch of villagers. So I think whatever reason they're going to um, not show it in the daytime, yeah. her having some nips is going to be the least of our worries. And there was a little bit of discussion around... She's in the bathtub, like, we enter the scene and she's already in the tub. But she has a pair of underwear on the floor with some blood in it. Mm-hmm. And originally, because her underwear was originally black, I was going to have her have a pad with the blood on so that you could see it. And then someone said that they thought that was, uh, like, unhygienic. And I was like, what do you mean? And it's like, well, you know, if I was a woman on my... Like, if I was a woman, I, I wouldn't put my dirty sanitary product on the floor. I was like, but so it's you're it. putting it back on again. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand it. I was like, well, if she's she's on her own... She's having a bath. She's having horrendous, like, mind-altering, time-shifting cramps. But weirdly, they were then fine with it being directly in the underwear. So it wasn't about the blood. It was about there being a sanitary product, which I just found baffling. But it wasn't a sticking point. So I was like, okay, no sanitary product. Then we'll just change the colour of the pants. And at the end of the day, the time of day that it went out was, like, what, like 11.30? One in the morning. <laughs> so, um, you know, the traditional time of the animation screening. So this was made as part of the Calling the Shots is it New Creators. Yeah. And um, this is like a rolling thing where they have filmmakers. Yeah, is they, it on hold at the moment? No, no, they've just oh. announced their new round and they'll, they'll have another call out soon, I think. It's, it's more live action than animation. So I would assume that for live action filmmakers, that's going to be tricky. Uh, it depends. I'm I'm imagining there are going to be a lot of vloggy Zoom call films made. Oh yes, we got, we're in the era of the. But there are actually there are there is at least one animation film I know of in the new round, um, which is another UE grad. But yeah, it was a really good scheme. I really enjoyed doing it. It worked out well time wise for me as well. Which was a bonus. And actually, yeah, I I had taken some time off my um my regular job, so I was mm. able to kind of help out with it as well. Yeah, it just all the stars aligned at the right time for it. It was really good. Yeah. So yeah, so that's uh, that's an iPlayer certainly get animated the special, which has a bunch of animation from uh, various people that well some new faces and some established talent. Uh, Ainsley Henderson and Will Anderson have some stuff on there. And your documentaries up there as well. 
I don't think it is anymore. Oh, it, is it not? They showed it just after, uh, but that was only on iPlayer for a month. But they show that like once or twice a year. Anyway, yeah, but uh, it's a little treat, you know. You can't just have it up permanently. It takes <laughs> the thrill out of seeing me and Steve, our big heads, talking I think it's about. A shame they didn't make like a series of those because I think you could definitely cover a lot more than they covered in that one documentary. That was the big immediate feedback thing that came out when that document was like people were like oh it's good that they made a documentary they missed this guy out they missed her out they missed this yeah. era well, they out missed they missed loads they miss- because it's impossible to cover everything yeah. also with you editing a documentary there's a certain narrative thread that needs to be built and certainly when they recorded mine and steve's segments the pitch to us was this documentary is going to be framed as a squiggly animation podcast or rather our segment no it was our segment was going to be framed as a squiggly animation podcast it was going to be the through line uh at the end of the day the sort of establishing it of like because we actually recorded like a fake like welcome to the squiggly animation program and that didn't end up in it but we're in it i think for about like maybe two or three minutes yeah, if you add really up all the but then of course th- you wouldn't really want us in it for 10 minutes if that's taking, you know, 10 minutes away from Joanna Quinn. And that, I think, makes the case more for this idea deserves a series. Yeah. Because you could get so much out of it. Sort of on the subject then, there's some quite good news that appeared recently. Yeah, that Tuco and Birdie's coming back on uh, Adult Swim this time. Yeah. Now that was, um, this show has kind of had... A bit of a lifespan over the course of this series of the podcast Mm. is a show that we were really singing from the rooftops about, and then it was just cancelled. That was so weird. It was uh, suspiciously weird. Actually, actually. it wasn't that weird. I remember my thoughts on this at the time (laughs) was that... Shut up, stop agreeing with me. Um, (laughs) I remember my my, uh, point on that at the time was that like when it was cancelled, everyone just sort of came out of nowhere like, Oh no, Tuca and Birdie, this is a travesty. Oh, what assholes. Like, it's just because it's girl led, blah, 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 blah. And it was a lot of like, oh no. But I was like, where the hell were any of you people when we were talking about it? Because no one seemed to give a crap about Tuca and Birdie when it was actually happening. Yeah, people weren't super vocal about it at, at the time. And when people did kind of admit to liking it, they almost felt like this need to explain it away. I think certainly it didn't have nearly the backing from Netflix that other shows do. Anyway, it's good news that Adult Swim are taking a punt on it, giving it another go. I think that, you know, as it came to the end of its first season, it was sort of, it felt like it had found its sea legs a bit. And the first couple of episodes, you know, people talk about it being a hard watch. And I think that the first couple of episodes are a little bit overwhelming. And I think that also, yeah, going back to like Netflix and the marketing for it, I don't think they set it up to fail, but I don't think that they were very clever about picking the materials to promote it. They tended to veer on the side of like clips that showcased the most frenetic scenario, like the really high intense energy yeah. scenes. And it gives you the sense that, oh, this show is just on full throttle it's super caffeinated and that's the bits of the show that are probably about half the first series to get over is just how shrill tuka is constantly 
and how whiny Birdie is constantly. <laughs> they were and really then, selling it, and but but they they are. It's just them trying to get the character across because that's it's a show that has many layers, and that's the first layer of their character is that Bertie's the neurotic one, and Tuco is like the carefree but kind of loud, obnoxious one. But then quite qu- quite quickly, really, in in the grand scheme of how shows normally progress. Within about halfway through the series, you start to realise why they're like that and that they have quite deep-rooted emotional traumas in their past that have led them to being two very extreme cases. And it deals with a lot of things really early, and that's rare. In uh, Variety.com, an article Lisa Hanwalt uh, is quoted as saying, I've been a fan of adult swim shows since my teens, so I'm thrilled to bring my beloved foul to the party and be a new voice for a fresh decade of absurd, irreverent, yet heartwarming adult animation. Anyway, who knows, maybe the second season will give it the um, extra sets of eyeballs it needs to really kind of find its footing and get a proper audience for it. Because that's the thing, like, even though there wasn't a lot of vocalization while it was on, when it did get cancelled, there was a lot of... You could tell people were pissed off. Yeah. I think people just now, because of how Netflix is, you just assume they'll just keep pumping it out. And mm. the fact that they would cancel... Because I've never known them really cancel something mid-flow. No, because... Well, I think they have cancelled a lot of stuff, but we don't hear about it. And I wouldn't have heard about this show if I didn't follow her... Because I, I interviewed Lisa Hannawalt for Squiggly when she was working on BoJack five years ago, maybe. And all of the stuff I saw about this new show coming up was from her Twitter. Well, good luck to, to Karim Bertie for season two. I guess we'll try and... Uh... We'll definitely watch. What else has been going on? There's that new film by Disney called Out. It's an interesting thing. The Spark Shorts... Um, scheme and there's a similar thing going on with disney uh at the moment that's um uh what's it called short circuit which presents itself as experimental film now eh. experimental within the wheelhouse of yeah there are no singing and dancing animals in them except for the ones where there are and they're like they're nice films uh, we're going to talk about them in much more detail in the next Squiggly Animation podcast. I think we have some of the directors. So maybe well. we should talk more about with this film the reaction we've seen to it because of the thematics. Yeah, well, I'm just sort of saying, I'm just bringing this up as there are these strands coming from the Disney camps of short form content to go with, I think, the Disney Plus streaming service primarily. But also, it's an applaudable enough initiative for people who are lucky enough to, or, you know, fortunate enough, or hard-working enough to have actually ended up working at Disney. (laughs) Skilled enough. Yeah. Um, That then there are these opportunities within where they can, you know, work on creative ideas. Whether or not every one of them has a potential Oscar winner in their pocket, that doesn't matter. That's the same with anything. If, you know... I mean, I assume it's always everyone who works on the big studio's goal who gets money internally to make a short film is to win awards. But it's yeah. it's not a. It's just not possible for them all to win if they're all going to come out in the same year. But it hedges their bets. Yeah, it's more than the one film they would normally have a year. Yeah. So anyway, one of these 
Pixar's Bark Shorts is called Out, and it's been getting some press. I think it just started uh, streaming on Disney+. Plus. It's been getting some press for being, I guess, the first Pixar-related product that has not hid its gay characters in the background. It's predominantly on a gay character, because there no. have been a couple of gay Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah, allusions to alternative lifestyles. The most recent one being Onward with uh, one of the female cops who is a cyclops who refers to having a girlfriend. Yeah, so everything has to be mentioned very briefly in uh, passing, it, or it's sort of up to interpretation. And is it in Finding Dory, there's like a same-sex couple who are like putting something into a car Yeah, it's, during so a montage? It's, it's like really... But also you could technically read it as like, they're just friends. Yeah, that's the... Or th- brother and, you know, brothers or sisters or... It's had this air of, to me, playing it safe oh so safe so vanilla in a way that's that's just sort of depressing like it i think the angle they'd like people to go with is oh look how progressive they're being oh they're look at the the way they just kind of slide this in because that's what life is and the no the sliding it in makes it feel like it needs to be surreptitious and it's like a very old school approach to lgb equality which was like my grandmother's generation of like they're gay but that's okay we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> like, it's fine, but we don't talk about it. Yeah. And that seems to be, has always been like the kind of Disney approach. It's like, they could be gay. We're not saying they're not, but yeah. we're also not going to categorically say that they are. Yeah. Mum and dad are very supportive of your choice. Just don't tell laugh church friends. Yeah. The thing is, when you are a, a giant behemoth, there's probably an incentive to keep the dickwads happy as well because their money is just as green so we'll get back to that in a minute now did you have you seen anything of of this film i've seen the trailer and i've read a couple of articles about it okay so i kind of feel like the film is sort of second to what it represents because i people are saying that they really love the film they find it very touching that they think the animation is great that it's beautifully rendered i think in technical terms, you can't really fault any of what's coming out. Actually, what did you glean from the trailer as far as what it's about? Because I'm, I'm, well, you tell me it's first. It, it, well, it's about a guy who is uh, trying to figure out the best way of coming out to his very normal parents. But it just feels like a story as old as time almost like i i'm amazed that in 2020 this is still a story that people feel there is not coming out like i understand that that's a big deal but just the the vanilla way in which it's portrayed as being that if we're going to make a film about the focuses on a gay couple then the plot of the film has to be about them coming out to their parents or one of them coming out to the parents Probably the reason they went with that story is, you know, like I say, I'm looking at the feedback of it from it, and people are responding in a way that is very positive, and like they feel like it relates to their own experience and their own conflict about coming out. That's great. Here's the issue. Um, for at me. no point do they say the word gay. Apparently. Okay. Ah, yeah, I see what you mean. I just read it in the thing that apparently. So, you know, parents show up. He's, you know, conflicted about how he brings up. Oh, and he becomes the dog? Yeah. 
Why? <laughs> there, there, if there was one thing I'm thinking as I'm as I'm looking at this, and like, well, it's not a staggeringly original concept for a film, but at least it isn't falling on the fucking Disney thing of it's- having a person inexplicably turn into an animal. So then you look at this trailer, and um, it's like, why doesn't the dog want the parents to find out that he's gay? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, the guy turns into the dog. Disney got me again. Animal yeah. body swap. Uh. Would it have been better if it had turned out like the entire time the narrative of him being like, I have to come out, I have to come out to my parents was actually always the dog and it's not the man at all. The man is heteronormative, but the dog is gay. The dog's gay. I'd have- That's been done. Has it? South Park. Oh. <laughs> South Park. Yeah, South Park always gets in first. But yeah, it, I mean, because I haven't seen the film, I can't really comment on the, the whole thing of it. So I, I've seen the film, and the way the guy turns into the dog as a plot device, he just turns into a dog. What like force that, is it? Nothing! Oh. Magic! <laughs> <laughs> a magical like, is there, intervention. Is there even a moment? Like, do they exchange a looks or? Well, you see it happen. Right. You see, it and he goes into a void and he does floats he, around. Does he at some point go? If only I could be you, boy, life would be so much easier. No, I think some alien like just zaps him with a ray and they body <laughs> swap and giggles. This will be fun. <laughs> and then they swap back, and after the dog is, you know, uh, <sighs> what's happening to the man when the dog is? Is the dog in his body? I just remember kind of slobbering. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yes I mean, to it being it's great that indicative it. of a changing tide. I think they're behind schedule on this. I think this is stuff that should have happened not years ago, but like decades ago. It's I nice think that- it's conspicuous that that it's taken this long, A, but also that they have to kind of deliver it in the way that they do. That being said, I'm, I'm looking at this as a straight white male and my opinion of the how they've gone about this is probably the least important. Mm. I guess before we get to the uh, main guest for this episode, uh, I'm it's not that recently now <laughs> coming off jury duty for uh, Stuttgart. Jury duty makes it sound a lot less fun than it actually is, but I was on the competition jury, I suppose, to clarify. I actually found that this was a really, really strong batch, and it was really, generally speaking, a pleasure to kind of sit through the films, and it didn't really matter as much that I wasn't kind of actually there. I think I the thing I like about online festivals is the ability to watch it on the couch and not be in a crowded cinema <laughs> and have to sit in cinema seats. And also, if a film is really boring, I can just skip it. Well, I quite enjoy, but the aspect of it I don't really like as much is the fact that it's not really curated in the same way, so you end up, if you're not going to be like, okay, I'm going to watch every single film, you could potentially end up missing quite a lot of good stuff because you're, maybe the still doesn't look super great, and also you lose certain elements of what going to a festival is, which is curation, because it's all just one big block of films, rather than it being set up thematically. You feel like it's more, you're less inclined to watch it in the themed group then? Yeah, because I'll, I'll be more like, that looks good and that looks good, because I'll treat it more like... You're going to make uh, your own mixtape. Yeah, okay. I'll treat it more like a video library, which isn't necessarily... Like I said, it's more about, I guess, being disciplined 
But if there's no one there to watch you walk out of the cinema, then you're less inclined to be disciplined about watching all the films in one go. Well, I found that the live stream stuff was quite nice. It was a sort of good way to, you know, because I didn't take time off work for it, but I was able to kind of experience the festival, you know, on one monitor and do my work in the other. And sometimes, you know, I, I definitely wanted to pay more attention to what they were showing. But with some of the, the masterclasses and stuff were quite nice sort of background presentations they were almost had a sort of podcast quality to them uh but for as far as the film screenings and stuff i do think it's better if they're able to present it in a way that feels more like a program like it's film screening and there have been you know events that are doing that quite well i know that yeah, cardiff are doing I'm things like say, that i quite like how cardiff does it where it's like it's in the evening you can get yourself a drink in maybe watch it eat your dinner whilst you're watching it but it's it's live it's there and then when it's done, it's done. You can't go back and watch it again. You have to pay attention whilst it's there. But yeah, as far as the films themselves went, uh, it was actually a very gratifying selection. And it was, it's nice because, you know, there are stretches of time where it seems like I'm not seeing anything new that's that good. And I would say there were literally like maybe three films that I didn't personally like. Yeah. One of them I, I do think shouldn't have been in there at all. Like, I'm not going to say which one it was, but it just felt like it wasn't a festival film. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is there was a smattering, not a huge percentage actually, but a couple of films that sort of fit our remit of intimate animation and a kind of loose sense. I mean, the, the first one I kind of flagged and this is just like, if a, if a puppet gets her clothes off, I'm like, oh, maybe this will be a fit. Mm. And probably actually overall it isn't, but it was that Leonardo film, which, um, do you remember that one? Yeah, I'll find the name of it. Oh, The Wings. It's a guy who um, has a bit of a man crush, I guess, on Leonardo and sort of an obsession of the concept of flight. You know, it's a kind of poor man's Icarus. Mm. Although Icarus was shit anyway. Like, that's the whole point of Icarus. It was All a the way through this film, I was like, why don't any of them have eyebrows? I really dislike that they don't have eyebrows. And in the end, I was like, oh, I get it. Well done. I'm at a loss. Mona Lisa. She's Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa didn't have eyebrows. Oh, okay. That, that connection I did not make at all. I, but, I did art history for my AS and A2 levels. But we mainly just looked at Gilbert and George's buttholes. Yeah, she becomes... I How come the other guys don't have eyebrows then? To keep it consistent, I guess. Hmm. Once again, my main issue is that she has no fucking body hair. She definitely would have body hair. Well, maybe the Mona Lisa didn't. Maybe the Mona Lisa, as well as not having eyebrows... Had was... alopecia from the head down. Exactly. So yeah, it's a guy who, in his sort of obsession, is neglecting the needs of his wife. And um, she ends up succeeding, I guess, where he fails. The other thing that slightly annoyed me about this film is that when she's rolling around on the uh, hula hoop, she <laughs> yeah. the her hands are on the outside, but that would mean that when she's rolling, she's rolling onto her fingers. Oh, ow, yeah. And because when you have these kind of things in clown... Like in circuses. That's taking your entire body weight. Yeah. And both of theirs, on both of their hands. And in circuses, they have handles. Yeah. So that you, you know, you don't break all your fingers off when you do a full rotation. I like this sequence, though, just watching this scene with him. Yeah, it's really lovely. And I think it's probably one of those things that's like, no one will notice. I will. Always assume, stop motion people, that if there's a slight error or inconsistency Laura Beth will find it (laughs) 
Uh, I really yeah. actually like the <laughs> the puppetry in general and the production design. Like it's a little goofy, but it's it's sort of charming enough. The story, but what I found interesting was this director. His previous film was really depressing. What was his previous film? It was called The Master, and it was about the dachshund and the monkey that lived together. Oh, that was wonderful. Yeah. I really loved that. But it wasn't like this film. No, this is very car- like cartoony almost in comparison. Yeah. Anyway, this was directed by Rehotent. It's one to maybe keep your eyes open for. Um, anyway, it was, it was one that I, I kind of flagged. Um, Stonian, maybe? Another film, and we'll just sort of go into this one briefly because we're going to actually be covering it on the site fairly soon. It's called Symbiosis. And uh, you quite like this one, don't you? Yeah, it's really pretty. It's a film that I kept like watching and and being like, oh, I don't, because it's quite, it's got quite a combination of uh, styles because it's got a bit of live action footage sort of edited in, a bit of collage, a bit of what seems like rotoscoping, and there were points in which I was like, I'm not sure if I like this, and then it would come back and be like, oh no, wait, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um. But really, it's the story and the theme of the film I really like. I like how the female protagonist sort of handles her situation. So, so she's kind of a bit jealous or suspicious of her. It's a lover. woman whose husband, it turns out it's a husband, they're married, um, is having multiple affairs. And so she starts like tracking them all down. And then rather than she, her jealousy sort of turns into like kind of curiosity as to who all these women are. Mm-hmm. And what their deal is and what, I guess, her husband finds attractive about them. So she ends up kind of diving into um, a world she might not have otherwise. See, this one, I think, sort of, in a more understated way, it's, it eventually kind of gets to, like, the sort of themes of desire and sexuality and sensuality. And the role, I think, that plays in, you know, sexual and romantic jealousy. But then kind of seems like, her attentions get diverted. I think she sort of becomes, like, awakened by Mm. the various other women who have a far more liberal feeling towards them and are just a lot more comfortable in themselves. And I think by following them and finding out about them and sort of experimenting with aspects of their personality, she sort of finds herself and finds comfort in her own skin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one, I mean, a bit of a divisive... Uh, visual style with this one as well like it's it reminds me again of a of an estonian director uh whose name escapes me i could probably find it out in some shots Mm. (laughs) and in other shots it changes quite a lot yeah it almost seems like there are certain shots where i almost feel like oh it's a shame the whole film doesn't yeah yeah it's it's very experimental is the wrong word but it's a mashup of things yeah. Which is very, it's very illustrative. Like, it has a very design, illustration drive to it. Yeah. I actually watched her older film today as well, her previous film, and that's a little bit more consistent within itself. Yeah. Uh, but once again, it's all drawn, and it's all very textural and very hand-drawn looking, but it still uses quite a lot of different types of brushes and materials. So it's like charcoal and paper and crayon and pencil and yeah the guy um that it reminds me of a little bit is this guy his name's casper yansis 
Do you remember this one? Yeah, yeah. It kind you of see what like, I mean. It's the kind of way she structures people a little bit. I think, like, yeah, with overly long limbs. It's a very Estonian look to the character design. Yeah, he actually had a film in Stuttgart that was a bit different. It didn't look like this film, but um, it's called Cosmonaut. And I guess it's the film he's doing at the moment, but it's not really. It also but. slightly reminds me of very early Julie Potts stuff when she was still at Kingston. Yeah. That kind of like color. It ha- like I say, it's very trendy illustration-y. But it's um, this kind of like not quite a hundred percent accurate rendering of uh, like animal, animal forms and. and but it doesn't matter because you you know. But well, you know what's going on. And, and it's, it's not stylistic. About, and it's not about accuracy. It's about feeling. Yeah, that I definitely got I a strong the sense of. The sushi the... scene is gorgeous. Yeah, just like from a design point, just the fact that all the women are such strong color silhouettes. Yeah. And so to sort of describe sushis. the shot we've kind of landed on, yeah, these very pudenda-esque sushi rolls, and what are those like dumplings with women draped over them? No, they're sushi. They're not oh, okay. And then there's these bits which are just collaged bits of actual moths so yeah there'll be an interview with the director i think coming to the site soon what's her name nadja andrasef cool so keep your eyes open for that another film from stuttgart that uh, is worth mentioning this was one that it's it's quite hideous it's It's, aggressively yeah it but that's sort of the point it's called just a guy and um this was how i learned that richard ramirez was real and wasn't a character from what? American. I thought they made him up for the show. I mean, he's not even Richard Ramirez in the show. He's based heavily on him, but it's not him. Oh, I thought it was him. No, it's really strongly him, but I don't think he looks. Been... The actor looks just like him. He's got the eyes. Him. I'm going to double check. Oh, well, then, ass- assuming we're thinking of the same character. Yeah. The, the, the quite one. handsome serial killer. And basically, this... Nightcrawler? Night Stalker. Yeah, Nightcrawlers is uh, always sunny. Basically, this is a film about the, I guess, sexual desirability of serial killers. serial killers. I think it's three case studies, or maybe two. I'm not sure actually how... Three. Well, the I was a little confused as to exactly how into it the director herself got. Oh, no, no, wait. You were right. It is actually Richard Ramirez that it is actually meant to be him. He is the character, right? Yeah. So he, you know, swarthy, handsome psychopath. Basically, I think because in my head I was like, "Yeah, it, I don't think they anyone apart really from you casting. and me watched American Horror Story 1984, <laughs> so they don't even know what we're talking about." But, but yeah, like I mean, this is the guy, and this is the guy he's based off. Yeah, no, like, he looks just they like got him. amazing casting. So the theater of the mind for you people. Yeah. If you Google American Horror Story Richard Ramirez, you'll see what we're talking about. Anywho, uh, yeah, I wasn't entirely sure if because the director did mention correspondence with him Mm. but i to me maybe i missed something but to me it wasn't clear if she was corresponding with him because she wanted to make a film or if she was one of the people who was infatuated with him we'd have to like ask her i guess but my reading of the film was that she had been one of the many people to send him essentially pornography he was one of the many serial killers that has a fetish with feet Right. And so she'd taken a photo of her feet and sent it to him, and so he sent a letter back thanking her for it and talking about her feet. Okay. And as far as I can tell, that's the only correspondence she ever had with him. I think it like that was enough for her to be like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. 
yeah. So she was kind of dipping her toe in the waters of like, oh, this is exciting. A bit Bad. like a, like a like a jail-based pen pal. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that you kind of see. You know, these people they become so bigged up by the media, and it doesn't hurt if they're quite photogenic. Mm. It doesn't matter how deplorable they are, but there's going to be you know, there's someone for everyone. Less so here. Yeah, his teeth maybe not so much when he when he smiles with his mouth closed. I mean, the fact that he is slightly he's not hideous helps, but with serial killers and the women who date them or the people who want to, I, it has very. I don't think it has much to do with their visual appeal. It's got more to do with their power and some sort of messed up feelings of eroticism. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, this film kind of um, delves into that, but the um, animation style is quite something. It's a mix of, I think, quite... Like, if you look at the performance, I actually fault the acting you're getting out of these puppets, but the compositing and the grading and the design elements are a bombardment of ugliness. It's very acidic. Yeah, and I assume that that's probably a deliberate thing because it's so it's so oversaturated and it's so kind of grim and unappealing and it feels like it's on planes maybe or maybe that's just the compositing. No, I think sometimes the character animation seems very flat and sometimes they seem like full puppets. It's one of those films where the subject matter really makes it and the strength yeah. of the the com- compositing of like the audio and sound in the interviews. Yeah. Or it's real strength and the visuals are kind of like they're just extra. They're just bonus. Like, if this was a, a podcast, I'd listen to it. Yeah. It's actually... It reminds me a little bit of the film we were talking about off mic not that long ago that you were saying you liked called uh, The Girl in the Hallway. Yeah, and it's all about the subject and the passion for the project. And with this one, it's also, like, the use of... The animation side of it is sort of bringing these letters to life and the characters to life, especially the what I would consider consider the main woman the purple haired woman yeah who i forget who she is she's a famous like metal singer yeah they does sort of it says at the end what they sort of they're sort of doing with themselves i know that really like shook me at the end who was it who became a fundamentalist has found love and hope in jesus christ her first and third marriage ended through suicide she doesn't want to talk about the second one and that's it yeah i mean that's a <laughs> that is, tells a story by not telling a story like, she like is there's amazing. some shit that went down yeah i mean she's clearly part of a very extreme world yeah but she is the she is the real other than romero's she is the real thrust in this documentary mm-hmm. uh because her attitude towards it all is so like blasé because yeah. I think Just a Guy is actually based off something he said about himself. But, like, she's very much like, he's just a guy. A yeah. guy who killed and raped multiple women. Yeah. There, wasn't there also another woman that they approach who he may have actually married? Uh, I think yeah, he, he got married in jail in the end. Right. But he proposed to um, the Ava O first. Right. Uh, but she said no. But there's a sort of, I think we see like correspondence briefly of like the woman he did actually get together with saying, I don't want to be in your documentary. Yeah, I think that's it. Kindly stop contacting anyone associated with me on Facebook. Doreen, is it? 
I can't really read Yeah, Doreen. This is such a crazy thing to make a documentary about because, I mean, it's very clickbaitable and it's very interesting and I have always been very interested in documentaries and anything to do with true crime and serial killers. Romero's not being one I'm that interested in or uh, hugely aware of. I know him and I know his face, but I don't know much He's more not about in your him. top five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always been really intrigued by the people who contact men on death row, serial killers, like fangirls or serial killers who... Because just the idea that they would have my address... Yeah. Really freaks me out. Like, why would you want that? Like, and sometimes they have families and it's, yeah. It's yeah, a it's a, I feel like you have, it has to, you have to be a very specific type of person. And also the way in which this girl presumably had to, because she, you know, if she, if that letter is true and she did send photos, so she was kind of involved. And I think there are many, there's probably Facebook groups and social groups for Ramirez, which she sort of shows at the end a bit like a Facebook group that sort of talks about him and his sexual nature, and that's probably where they came across the two people that are involved in the documentary. Mm. But also part of it may be down to youth or boredom or their own personal lives being slightly upended and for some reason becoming obsessed or interested in this serial killer. Mm. So it's really, it's really interesting film. It's real, well worth a watch. But I do worry, well, not worry about, but question the ethics of things, especially like this, where she's tried to contact his like his wife, yeah, and presumably friends of hers to try and get in contact with her because you know it might be one of the things where she did marry him and then regretted it, or is perfectly happy with it, but it's her own business and yeah. he's her husband, and that's the end of it as far as she's concerned. I think he's dead now, but. So yeah, that was an interesting one. The director is Shoko Hara. Uh, might still be doing the rounds. It is unfortunate because now we can't really sort of point people in the direction of where you can see this film next. Because if it's not online, you probably won't for a while. So, I don't know. So those are some uh, Stuttgart special mentions films to maybe watch out for. Um, how about we chat about this episode's guests? We're going to be talking with David Stumpf and Michaela Mihaly. They made a film called Shit Happens, which you and I caught in Brussels. What seems like a very long time ago now, before civilization collapsed and we were actually able to leave the country and we were at the Anima Festival. That was, I think, one of our mutually agreed upon highlights of the event, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was one of the films I was convinced was going to win something. Like, it stood out to me as one of the films that were just a real all-rounder kind of mm. film. Like, really good design. You care about the characters, even though they're quite bizarre characters. Doesn't overstay its welcome. It has, you know, a really strong hold on its subject matter. There's a theme in it of feeling sexually neglected, like the main couple, mm. you know? It reminds me a lot of um, Luke... Uh, what's it called? Oh, what's his name? Luke Bring Chop Luke Bring Chop Drink. Yeah. Nicholas Maynard. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that those are sort of ensemble, interconnected story films like his. And, uh, yeah, I think that that... Um, and what was the other one that was about a fish? Um, about a fish, like, factory, processing factory. Beginning with an M. He, she works at Rumpus. Not... Oh, Agent uh, Dippendenza. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's an old one. Yeah, yeah, but it really reminds me of both of those films. I mean, it's something that I sort of brought up in the interview, so you'll hear it in a bit, but... It's my perfect kind of film. It's very 
incredibly well structured, really well thought out. It's a looping animation, so it's sort of like you get like parts of the story as you go through and they circle back around to make sense of other parts of the story. It's just, it's it's hugely satisfying and it really makes use of animation. Um, and it uses this Riso print style that I've seen bits of, but not in such a long form. And that's really lovely. So it brings together a, a really gorgeous visual style. And this really intricately put together, but very satisfying and very funny, looping story. There's a trailer for it online at the moment, and the trailer is also the kind of um, opening shot, I think, of the film, which I think sets the tone appropriately. Actually, I think from the sort of the initial setup, it almost seems like it's one of those sort of like montage punchline films, like a kind of dumb ways to die sort of thing. And actually, after the opening shot, it then starts to tell the story and then the opening sequence this couple that we see that are uh, separated and that's actually a rather crucial story point point. and then when the film itself begins proper we follow this beleaguered maintenance guy working in this bizarre apartment complex that's sort of floating in the sea wait that was another thing that came up in the interview that was really interesting that i hadn't thought about that the story is basically noah's ark mm. and i was like that makes so much sense the trailer actually, I think, teases a bit more of the substance of the film. There's that little right when the lightning hits. Mm. Anyway, you can look at it. It'll be in the article or uh, David Stump has a Vimeo channel. But it is a perfect, like, it really evokes a lot of what this podcast talks about, about lots of different types of relationships, sexual desire, sexual ambiguity. But they also do a lot of films, actually, on this theme, especially Michelle, like Michaela, which we talk about a little bit. <laughs> There's some happy Valentine, and it's like balloon animals <laughs> eroticism. But it's Are they meant to be balloons yeah, or they're condoms. condoms? I probably should have worked that out. Condoms, dicks, and tits. <laughs> yeah, and so classy like too. Fun endearing animation yeah it's a little web card did he say it was more her because this is his yeah i am trying to get to hers she has a lot of um, but they also work together on all of these as well right like most of these so she did this soup animation a long time ago as well that i have had as a favorite for years it feels like it's a good one food yeah but he did the post-production on it you just want to hug them don't you a really satisfying character. She's a really great character designer. Yeah. No, you're right. They are very appealing. The reason I like both of their work, but their uh, way of handling and tackling relationships and feelings and emotions and and sexual stuff is that it's really with this sense of fun and humour and almost childlike quality of it just being something lovely. Cool. Shall we? Uh, shall we hear from Michaela Mahali and David Stumpf? Yes. Can you uh, start by telling me how you both met? We were studying together, like, in two different schools, actually. Like, we met in Bratislava, it's the capital of Slovakia. There is an Academy of Performing Arts, and we both studied animation there. I mean, I was uh, one uh, year younger. Yeah, one year below me, and I was like... uh... And then, uh, yeah, we, we met, and we started to do something together, some small stuff. 
And then basically we moved to Prague where we studied animation again. So, yeah. Yeah, at FAMU. At FAMU. So I went first to Prague uh, to study here and then David uh, came later yeah, one year to later. join me. Yeah, so this is how we kind of started to talk together about stuff and also like working a bit. Was the Prague course like a master's? For me, not. I started from the beginning uh, because I felt like uh, it's a new school and uh, it's such a nice thing to attend classes with uh, other people from the beginning. But uh, and also, I didn't finish my bachelor uh, in Bratislava because I didn't finish the film, and uh, so that's why I just went for bachelor again. And that yeah, since when... I'm finished my bachelor in Bratislava, I. I uh, went like immediately to master degree. In, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like this film was uh, like master film of mine. Okay. But we were able to both work on it, so yeah. So you've worked on um, like a fair few projects together uh, before this one. What are the benefits that you find working together, and what issues arise from that? I think it was like. For us, we have like different skill sets, and so we can use like uh, both both of it. And if when we combine it, it makes uh, I think the work more much better, uh, or as we think that it's much better. And also, it's like uh, we were less scared to do stuff, like to to start uh, some new projects or like to. Uh, attend some pitching forums or like, um, you know, like uh, we were like two, two of us in it. So it was less scary for us to do, I don't know, anything. And uh, yeah, I don't know, do you have something? Yeah, it's like, um, it seems that when we combine like our um, like abilities, which are a bit different, it uh, seems like we can achieve like more complex things, you know. Like since I'm uh, like focusing more on animation, post production, and Mikhail is focusing like on on design, illustration. Yeah, we, when we combine it, uh, and also it's like we like talk about these things a lot. So that means that we can like um, uh, intersect with with each other like better <laughs> like yeah like when Mikha designing something she's thinking about like how I will be animating it and we're discussing it a lot so that's uh yeah it's like it's good system to come up with some complex sol solutions for stuff yeah mm. yeah both your like work together and separately is quite like bold in terms of the visuals what visual influences do you have i think we kind of try to follow like uh illustration and graphic design and like a lot of uh, i don't know it's something that really interests us and also i kind of uh, or we we started to do these things that or like uh, not started to do but like the thing that interests us is like the to create like a contrast between like very uh, colorful and maybe sometimes a bit naive looking uh, visual with like uh, a bit of um, bold or somehow uh, like uh, 
to opening up some sexual themes or like a more like adult stuff in the in the um, in the themes and like uh, visually to make it a bit uh, I don't know like uh, colorful. They look a bit like children's books almost. Yeah. So it's like this kind of this contrast is really uh, I don't know like something that uh, I really like to do and uh, and we try to find uh, references or like uh, color palettes or like visual influences like anywhere but mostly like in illustration and in like uh, contemporary graphic design or something like yeah this film was like really inspired by uh, restograph printing. And it's actually like backgrounds are done in, like it's printed. So it's like some uh, contemporary approach for like many of the illustration to use like risograph because it gets, you, you get, you are getting like this really nice, like organic feeling to drawings. Mm. So yeah, this, this was uh, like after two years of development, the style, uh, this risograph thing came up and yeah, we decided to, go with this way so yeah. and working in that risso style i noticed that uh david you're you'd worked in it sort of of your breakfast film as well a little bit but were there any like considerations or problem solving involving that like mixing of colors and the type of animation yeah it, it was uh, actually the, the breakfast thing was not really uh like inspired or by risso but but this uh, principle that you are mixing like colors and trying to to look like it's printed even if it's digital yeah, I, I like to do that and but it's uh, this breakfast thing was not like uh really like a risograph thing but yeah it, yeah but it was like inspired by it's that layering of of printing like yeah. reduction printing yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. and that's the thing that we discussed also like for this film because we really like like this kind of overlaying colors and like the sil silk screen or risograph uh, like base of it but when you do it digitally we felt like like it was missing a bit of like a handmade feel so it that's flattens why it a bit doesn't it yeah, yeah, yeah so so that's why we like decided to go for it but not like because we tried some I, I like try to do it also digitally, but it was still missing something, mm -hmm. and uh, that's why we decided to print it uh, on the risograph and to try to get as close as possible to to get the handmade feel of it or like a printing feel of it. And what are you using in order to to do that to lay, like to have the animation work with the um... The layers, so it doesn't like sort of reveal the fact that it's obviously animated digitally, but using these real textures. Yeah, it was like uh, we was developing this like technical aspect, like for like it, it took longer than we thought at first because yeah. it was like surprisingly difficult to manage to uh, like use like exactly same. Uh, step-by-step -step principle as like a real printing mm -hmm. but transform it into like digital world is uh yeah it was like quite challenging yeah. Uh, but yeah we did it like exactly how i said like we we followed like step-by-step -step exactly thing which is happening in the printer and we followed it in a 
in a digital space. So we actually like printed the textures from actual risograph and then we scanned it. And then we, then we use uh, like color, brand, color blending modes to, to achieve exact same look as, uh, as, uh, yeah, as the real printings. And also, like we did some tests when we printed all the frames in Risograph, and we wanted to see how it looked, like how it works, because it's Im imperfect uh, a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So you can see like uh, how it doesn't really fit. Yeah, the misalignment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that we wanted to see how it would look like if we would print out all the frames, which we wanted in the beginning, but we realized it's like unachievable. So, so we kind of did that, that we printed uh, the tests and then we tried to like pick the stuff that uh, makes it uh, this unique uh, feel of printed, uh, of printed frames. And then we tried to simulate it in, uh, in a digital yes. space with texturing and with like animation and everything. Okay, so in, in the past you've sort of used quite a mix of uh, animation styles, you've used like 2D and stop motion. Do you have like a different approach when you're using a style to the way you construct the animation or is it just project dependent? I think it's more project dependent. Mm -hmm. like, like you are obviously like using some principles over and over again, of course, but and I think it's like really depends on like uh, team, and then you're trying to develop like the visual, like the, the correct visual approach to this team. Mm -hmm. So, and also I think it's like for me when I'm mostly like designing uh, the um, films that we do or that uh, I do separately. It's like it's also like about. For a while, it took me to find myself what I want to do or how I want to do it. And it's nice to change everything up with a new project and with different technique. With like a cutout, you can do different things and you have to do different things and with puppets as well and with like 2D as well. So it's, uh, I try to change up everything, but it's some, but still somehow, like I like when you change. Uh, change your style a bit but still you can feel that it's uh, made by the certain person or like still you can feel that it's made uh, by the author that you follow or something so yeah it's it depends on the project i think okay so um as you noted earlier love relationship and sex are all quite common themes in your work uh, what I love is that it's always like with a sense of fun and playfulness as as well as passion. Why do you think these themes interest you so much? Maybe we have like different reasons, both of us, uh, because yeah, uh, we or I don't know, probably we do. But like for me, it's uh, I somehow find it like the that is like the base of everything. This. Thing of like human relations or how we uh, like how we talk to each other about like a chemistry between people and like how it's uh, how it's uh, how the world is kind of built around it or it's like functioned by it so that's why it's like like human relations are I don't know like fascinating for me and uh, with the sexual themes it's uh, 
like for me it was uh, also kind of like uh, liberation mm. because I was scared to talk about it but I was not so scared to to show it in work and kind of hide myself behind it so it was for me the way how to talk about these themes to just make movies about them mm. and then I kind of was uh, yeah intrigued to do more or like uh, to see how people are reacting to these kind of themes or like what you can show how you can show it or like that you can make it joyful or uh, fun or the other way it's on you I don't know for you yeah uh, it's uh I, I basically agree with uh, Mikhaila's point of view that it's like really the basic natural thing which is like everywhere and for me it's like I, I told myself that I would like to do stuff that I would like to watch and these things put together in some like absurd on, on or contrast way is like... Um, I think it's like a really powerful tool to like explore these relationships in the depth. So, yeah. And like you said before, you're a fan of the podcast, so you know we we talk predominantly about films that deal with this subject. What do you think that talking about these films or making films and about the subject in animation brings to the stories, like specifically about animation? Mm. When you get rid of like a real people and you somehow replace them with uh, or not replace them you interpret them with uh, with different uh, characters or like uh, in animation you have like this freedom of showing these type of things in a more complex way or i or i see it that way like uh, you can uh, you can show like uh, sex but it can be uh, done in a really gentle way because in animation it's not real objects or real people or you don't see like uh, real things in front of you you see the interpretation of it uh, maybe in more abstract way or more or or also like in a story wise maybe more abstract so I really like I also enjoy these themes in uh, live action but uh, yeah, I I feel that in animation they are interpreted more in a like uh, in in a joyful way or I don't know like uh, yeah it's uh, more poetic it's more fun to, yeah it's more fun to watch yeah and it's more poetic sometimes and if it's not it still is in a way mm-hmm. yeah and also like when you are working with animation and it's uh, it's for logical reason, of course, because animation took so long and uh, the short films are much shorter than sh- than the short live action films. That uh, the nice thing about like uh, transforming these things into animation is that you you can you can really really simplify things, and it doesn't doesn't mean that it's like more stupid or it it's it's only like um, more simple and it's easy easier i mean for me and i can imagine that for many people and audiences as well that it's like more simple to 
understand complex things when you are showing into animation. It has to be like clever written and clever shown, but but uh, yeah, you can like really explain like complex complex things in like really 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 simple ideas, and mm. this is really uh, really great thing about animation. So your new film also utilizes these themes. Um, I really love the way the narrative sort of loops and weaves and the viewpoints sort of, it's almost like a kind of modern Shakespeare film. <laughs> <laughs> like the kind of treachery and the, the backstabbing yeah. and the like secret like love children. <laughs> and it's like a really truly like exemplary short film in terms of not just style, but structure as well. Like it, it will be a film I will always like, once it's live, I will send to every student. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about how the story came about and how you, like, where the characters came from? Uh, so the story, it's like really, uh, we started to kind of think about it or the base of it was uh, still in Bratislava. Uh, I, and it was supposed to be my uh, bachelor movie like seven years ago. Or, yeah. yeah, it was around seven years. But uh, the, the themes were kind of... Uh, uh, there but uh, the part with uh, the ark or like that it's the like this story of noah and uh, and the and the biblical uh, adaptation it wasn't there it was more about like uh, it was inspired by uh, like living in a small closed spaces uh, because we grew up in a yeah, here in Slovakia and Czech, it's quite common to live in these huge buildings with a lot of people inside who who shouldn't be together or living next to each other and how it kind of provokes a lot of different interaction or, or strange relationships. So it was like the base of it. And then, uh, then we started, uh, yeah, it was like a teacher at school. He proposed that maybe it would be interesting to see it as an adaptation of Noach's Ark or to try to make a contemporary way how to do it. And then, and then we started to work together on it. And then we kind of needed to somehow uh, show it through just few characters. So we kind of uh, knew that there would be a main character of Noach and his wife. Yeah, we we didn't know his wife. Or we didn't know no, that first. No, we was ah, just okay. uh, we had like this base of a biblical story, and we knew that we want to make like contemporary adaptation, of, like the like a really really old story, and great story by the way, and like really complex story, and simple story. So we like it was like perfect for animation, and so then we and we knew about Noah, of course. Yeah, we knew that we wanted him to or to destroy the yeah. the ship, and uh, so and so we, yeah, so we were trying to uh, like came up with the uh, with the uh, other characters that was uh, that would move like this whole story into like more contemporary uh, setup. So we yeah, so we came up with a wife, and we came up with a like widow of the deer, uh, which uh, was. For us, because we knew we want to make like this uh, time shifting thing that uh, that time is not really uh, uh, straightforward in this film. So we knew that, 
and uh, that's why we are we were trying to find the characters which could act good in this setup yeah yeah and also we wanted to uh like the the setup the theme of like a frustration and for all the characters there's like a different reason for frustration kind of for all of them so uh so we and also we wanted to make it like a bit uh, absurd story or like uh, funny in a way so that's how we kind of try to find a way how to implement all those things to create this absurd kind of biblical but not uh, or or like it is biblical but it's contemporary and like to to create this kind of revenge sex uh filled uh, story or absurd one yeah was there uh like any like symbolism between the animals and like their personalities yeah we started with that and also we wanted to create this i or create like put there this idea that people are be acting a bit of like animals and also like animals are acting like a people. So there is like this, uh, they are intertwined in a way. And, uh, and we wanted to kind of come from like um, old uh, stories about different characters of animals. But then we also wanted, wanted that the animals would feel like, uh, like uh, he, not human beings like a like a beings like a contemporary not people but animal people yeah it was like we the the base idea of the film was that trying to find the border between when the like rational thinking ends and uh how to say it not emotions but uh instincts okay. uh, start so rational thinking ends and uh instinct starts the and we wanted to find this border and actually like every character in our film has this border but every character has it in like the different every character could took or take like some amount of uh, shit happened to him so every character uh, can have only some amount of mm, bad they all have that level dream, yeah, yeah. And, and you have the levels and and uh, that's the thing or that's the relation between animals and the human beings that yeah human beings are like often they are not really rational thinking they are thinking with emotions and that is when it could fall apart like like literally everything as we shown in the film so so yeah that was the idea great how have you found the response to the film and were you able to go to many screenings um, before this all occurred? <laughs> uh, we were quite lucky to... It was like before the lockdown happened, we, we were able to, to have a premiere in Venice and then to visit Sundance and then uh, Clermont-Ferrand and after it happened. So we were quite lucky that we could go to the US and... Uh, to see it there, which for like South by Southwest festival, it didn't happen, which is uh, really sad. But uh, uh, I think uh, the response was uh, quite uh, quite nice. It really depends in the, on the country. That oh, that, really? That where you are showing it, like some audiences are more conservative or you, you can tell uh, like not only from like when people are coming to you and uh, 
talk to you about the film, but you can tell also when you are sitting in the audience that how they are like reacting mm. like directly to the film. Any specifics? It, it's 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 uh, different in in every country. I it's, think in in US it's uh, we were like we were quite surprised that people are really like uh, reacting to like yeah. almost anything in the cinema, which we we are used more for like European uh, audiences, which are, I think, open as well. But but in the US, we felt like it's really, like if they laugh, they laugh like really hard. <laughs> and if, if, if someone, uh, if they, or it didn't happen to us because, but, but uh, we felt like this immediate reaction uh in us which we uh yeah in europe we felt that it's a bit different but uh, but in europe even in european countries it's uh there is difference between belgian and there is different between uh czech and there is different between i don't know mm. england or something so yeah it's it's fun to watch how the people are reacting but in general i think the the feedback is like really good and we are super happy about it yeah I understand like that the length of the the film and its production were kind of like a bit of a saga so you sort of started it when you were in school and then you ended up getting some development funding and then you ended up going through some co-productions through MIFA mm -hmm. what caused this kind of like need for like stepping up production and how did that affect the production and how did you both or individually deal with that kind of stop start it was like because we we started to started to work on this film when we were like one year off the school both of us so it was between schools you can say like Michal was already in Prague but she moved for a year back to Slovakia and then we started it and I was in between schools so it started as non-school film and so we, uh, since we wanted to get some fundings to, for development, we asked uh, our friend producer. And so we got pro Slovak, Slovakian producer and then we moved to Prague. And yeah, it, we, we had like a lot of work to do other stuff and other films for schools and stuff like that. So it was postponed, but also we made an arrangement with Michaela Pavlatova, which, which is uh, head of uh, animation department there that yeah, we can make this as a school project. So school came in as a co-producer as well. And then we then we got selected to MIFA analysis. So we pitched it and yeah, and we got a French co-production. So yeah, basically. And also like um, besides like working on it, we wanted also to work on like um, to make it like a semi-professional film, which is kind of common at uh, FAMU nowadays, which is really nice that you can also, uh, it's still a student film, but you can try like how it is like in a real, uh, like in a professional world, like how, uh, what, what does it take to, to produce or like to work on a movie with like a real producer or like to how is it uh, to ask a funding or and we wanted to learn that and it was like a, such a really uh, great experience to get that firsthand because it's uh, yeah like to how is it to uh, 
like work with the producer, work with the co-producer? How is it to have a part of production in France? Or like all of those things that you, if you want to be a filmmaker, you, you will need to know anyway. Uh, and it was such a nice thing that we could uh, still experience this, this uh, still at school that we were allowed to do it uh, at FAMU and it's quite common now that it's happening which is really nice I think. And also we wanted to like we yeah we we got some fundings and uh, later we got some co-production with friends but we also wanted to make this film as much as we can like by two of us so mm -hmm. that, that means we didn't want to I don't know rent the studio and get animation there or stuff like that so uh, we ended up with Michael doing design and I'm doing animation and post-production and we are both writers and directors and from uh, France we go to music and uh, sound post-production and and also mastering it was par partly France and partly in Slovakia so we, we knew we we wanted to work these things out, like we want to make most of most of the film by two of us because it's like still student film, so we didn't want to, you know, like mm. hire some, I don't know, some big studio to do it or something. Yeah, wonderful. And so, what's happening next with the film and uh, with you both? Like uh, with film, uh, since like uh, a lot of festivals are postponed, we have. Uh, great uh, girl Alexandra she's uh, taking care of the festival distribution so she's uh, we are still like uh, sending it to the festivals uh, probably till the end of the year but we will see when we will have like online release we really want that because there is like a next uh, life for film to have it online and with us uh, I'm uh, working or starting to work on a, my bachelor film because this was like a master of David and I'm still at the bachelor so I, I will yeah I have to make this and David will will be animating it or helping <laughs> with yeah, it. And also we are doing some uh, some commissions right now like uh, we are making visuals for any film it's like this festival of animated film in in Czech Republic mm. but it was yeah moved to autumn. Uh, to autumn yeah. so yeah we're still working on it and and yeah a few other things like uh, I'm we are we were doing uh, during the quarantine we were doing uh, like online gallery for uh, Slovak and Czech illustrators and animators so it was like kind of exhausting thing to do <laughs> like to you know but like, real fun but it was fun <laughs> so yeah yeah we are trying to yeah wait until all of this will be over so we can go somewhere out and yeah. travel again and maybe travel again in the autumn i hope maybe <laughs> yeah hopefully great well that was all my questions thank you very much is there anything uh, else you'd like to say or promote yeah, no, just for everyone to be safe and <laughs> and have a good time at home or outside. Yeah, and stay home if it's possible. If your country are like in bad situation, stay home. <laughs>
Thank you very much to Michaela Mihaly and David Stumpf. And you can find more of their work at their respective websites, michaelamihaly.com. That's spelled M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A-M-I-H-A-L-Y-I.com. And David Stumpf is at stumpfdavid.com, S-T-U-M-P-F-David.com. Wonderful work. Thanks for talking to them. Yay! (laughs) Hooray. Uh, Not a whole bunch else to report. I think we mentioned some stuff that's coming up on the site soon. Keep your eyes open for that. Not going to any festivals anytime soon. We're going to be, I guess, virtually attending Annecy. So, um, you know, if that yields any exciting new films, we'll be sure. If you see us on some sort of group Zoom, say hi. (laughs) I mean, there's going to be some general Annecy coverage. Uh, one thing I did notice, interestingly, for some reason, as of like last week, remember a few episodes ago on this podcast, we talked about a film called Tabuk? Yes. With um, Dario Van Vrie, the director. It's one of the, I think Tundi yeah. produced it. That film, somehow the gods of YouTube algorithms have sort of put it front and center. And that has, within a week or so, been just ramping up views. And it's nearly at a million now. Wow. So congratulations to Studio Pupil. Let me just see. That's how... amazing. Yeah. Isn't it weird how it can happen when it's a film that's already been out for a while as well? Yeah, it was about two years ago. Yeah, it's strange how they just... Did it get featured in an article? At the time of recording, 857,000 views. Sweet baby Wonderful Jesus. stuff. And people are generally uh, enjoying it. The like-to-dislike ratio is... Uh, very strong. Good stuff. I assume it's probably nothing to do with YouTube's algorithm, but our golden touch <laughs> from having them on the podcast. <laughs> no other immediate news coming to mind. Keep your eyes on Squiggly. We're on social media in full yet again, thankfully. We're on Twitter at Squiggly, uh, Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine, and Instagram, we're at Squiggly Animation. Uh, follow us on all of them because we've got lots of exciting things to continue to show you. Uh, we're going to be resuming the Film Club podcast again, I think, soon. And yeah, all our other business as usual. So get involved. Say hello. Follow us. I demand it. So until next time, I've been Ben Mitchell. I'm at Ben L. Mitchell on Twitter. You've been Laura Beth Cowley. Yes. At LB Cowley on Twitter. Sure. But you don't really use Twitter. What's a better site? Instagram, probably. And that's LB Yellow. LB Yellow on Instagram. If you want to keep up to speed with what we're up to. Until next time, happy intimate animating. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.